Good morning and a happy day to you fine folks out there in podcast land. Today is an awesome day to remind yourself that choosing to associate yourself with those people who want to be accountable and make the world a better place is not selfish. No, not at all. It's a direction and a positive use of energy. Now let's get this day of positive energy started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Speece. We are live here at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners booth at the Shale Energy Resources trade show and conference happening here in Midland at the Horseshoe Pavilion. I have got Ron Gusick with me, the president of Liberty Oilfield Services. How are you doing today, sir? Doing very well, thanks. How are you this morning, Jason? Oh, pretty good. Oh, you've got good levels on your mic. All right, never mind. You don't need to get as close as I thought. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming out here. How'd the trip end? Did you fly okay? Yeah, trip wasn't too bad. You know, uh, unfortunately, thunderstorm season. So, uh, yeah, a few, few minor delays, but at the end of the day, got where I needed to get. So, so in the, in the same day... I'm going to start off with a hard question first before we get to the easy ones, because I I wasn't sure how to ask you about this, and it had to do with your CEO and his campaign against North Face, and as much as I love it, I had to take a step back and think, okay, what's the end goal here? Where are we going with this? Well, lo and behold, I see Fox News picked it up now, so it's working. And um, I was a little bit skeptical at first because I thought, okay, how how are we going to get past North Face not returning calls on this. Well, now we know how. We just keep going till the national media picks it up, and then more and more will pick it up, and more and more will pick it up. So I want to say, great job. I w- again, I, I got it be mad at myself here for a little bit of having some skepticism. So, but I, I do appreciate <laughs> it. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about the campaign, how it came to light, w- where it's going. Where you, I mean, are you familiar with it? I assume you are. Absolutely. You, you're not the lead on it, so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, usurp the C- the, the president or anything like that. So, go ahead. No, I, uh, you know, I think for us, just been a continued frustration around a lack of appreciation for what oil and gas does in our world. And, uh, you know, we pound the drum every day on energy poverty and issues like that. But here we had a situation late last year where a company whose entire business is is based on oil and gas, in fact, wouldn't exist without oil and gas, refusing to sell one of our, our uh, peers in the space jackets for uh, for their employees, and and that just didn't sit well with us. And we we continue to hear this message over and over and over again that we are, you know, we're we're against oil and gas and all that they stand for and all that they're doing in our country, and, and a complete lack of recognition around just how much of our lives revolves around oil and gas. Like you don't have to go back that far in the in history to find out uh, to find a world where we live very differently. And you know, 150 years, worlds worlds transformed, and that's in no small part due to oil and gas and and you know i think the industry has been maybe a a little bit guilty of sticking our heads in the sand well how about a lot guilty about sticking our heads in the sand and not willing to stand up and 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 say what's right and and you know i think for us we've gotten to a point where we have got to be out telling the the message that people need to hear and and i don't think it's being done any other way 
And so we're, you know, we at Liberty are certainly taking some ownership around that. And that'll have a few prongs to it. But one of these was this, was this North Face situation. We are, we are avid outdoors people at Liberty. Chris, as you would have heard on the video, is an avid climber, avid skier, avid cyclist, runner. Uh, I, I am no different. I spend a lot of time in the outdoors, but, but recognize that that all happens by virtue of the great gear that I can buy, all of which is made from oil and gas. And so, uh, you know, that was an opportunity for us to put a message out there that just said, look, uh, this isn't this isn't right, and and fortunately it has gained a lot of traction. They, we're we're getting feedback from around the world on it now. I I got a I got a note on LinkedIn from Australia this morning. Uh, somebody who'd watched it and said thanks very much for for doing that for standing up for for what's right, and uh, and I think that's you know that's certainly true for the inbox at Liberty and and Chris is. Uh, yeah, we've got some real traction here. And I, I guess our hope at the end of the day is that it sparks an honest conversation. It, you know, we're, we're, we're not in this for the publicity, so to speak, but, but we are invested in what we do and we believe we do it for a great reason. But I, I think we're of the opinion that there hasn't been a fair and reasonable conversation around oil and gas and its importance going forward. And so it's certainly our hope that this sparks that conversation, that it, it's an avenue for folks to sit down and have a fact-based, real conversation about the role oil and gas plays and, and the role that it'll play for decades to come yet. Well, now would be the time for us to mention all month long. It's our PSA, our planet service announcement that oil and water do mix. We're highlighting all the different ways that oil and water do mix. I'm an avid paddleboarder. Uh-huh. And without pad without oil and oil and gas, I couldn't paddleboard, and I know that. I'd probably have had to find some wooden plank to stand on, you know, and but anyway, that's a different day for a different story. Uh, Bulwark, they're a subsidiary of I believe, VF, of which VF is Corporation, yeah. VF Corporation, which is the owner of uh, North Face. It was interesting because when I was up at the Williston Basin Conference, there was about a dozen people walking around with North Face jackets on, and I'd say to them, um, "Anybody give any weird looks?" He's like, "They're like, yeah." And that's what I'm like, okay, next time I have Mr. Gusick on, I'm going to ask him, where are we going with this? Because we need the message to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it is snowballing. It is starting to get bigger, and I'm really happy to hear that. Bulwark, what, what are they saying about this? Have you heard from North Face? All I've seen is no comment. I, and, and to my knowledge, that's that's where we stand today. Okay. I, I I don't think uh, there's been any conversation between Chris and the CEO at uh, at VF. I that, I think that would certainly be our hope would be that there would be a conversation around that and a path forward that saw some alignment. But but uh, thus far, I think crickets. Well. Keep it up. Keep it up. If there's anything we can do here to help out that uh, conversation, let us know. You know, we, we we try to stay out of some polarizing stuff and the political stuff, but at the same time, you do need to push the envelope to get awareness out, and we're starting to push the envelope a little bit more, too, now, so... Um, it's time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so, and but I think there's a way to be reasonable about yeah, that. I mean, yeah. I don't think we have to be uh, we don't have to be over the top about this. We don't have to, uh, you know, we don't have to get ourselves in a position where we're just viewed as conceited or arrogant or something like that. You know, this was a little bit of a fun way to make what I think is a very fact-based statement. Yeah. There's, there's nothing misleading in the in the video. There's, uh, um, you, you know, we're not uh, we're not making an argument that's not backed up by 
by fact or, or reality. Uh, but you have to make it in a little bit of an edgy manner to to get to get some attention. And so we gotta, yeah, we gotta push that limit a little bit without becoming, uh, y- you know, without without getting to a place where the, the message gets lost. So and where can we get the video? Where can we find the video? You'll find the video on. Uh, you'll certainly find a link to it on Liberty's website. Okay. But, uh, so www.libertyfract.com and uh, but on Chris's YouTube channel. My guess is if you Google Chris Wright. North Face, okay. that'll be the first thing that shows up. Well, we'll definitely make sure we got the links available at our website as well, so you can access it through there. But Liberty Frack might want to check there for our next topic, which we're going to talk about as we transition out of North Face, because we could spend all day talking <laughs> about, well, hypocrisy is such an easy thing to talk about, you know? And so that's why I was saying, where's the end goal on this? Because sometimes we do get caught up with just the conversation and, and not move it forward. We, before you, we had on Midland Mayor Patrick Payton, and he was talking about the reporters he's dealing with. He got asked by a reporter, how do you feel about being the mayor of the town killing polar bears? A reporter asked him that. Okay, and what was the other one? He said something about how do you feel being in charge of the town that's decimating the planet? These are reporters asking this stuff, so that's why we're trying to go back to even more of our old school journalism ways, because there's no better story than the truth, and honestly, for the most part, like agriculture, the oil and gas industry has done a lot more good than bad when it comes to making the human way a lot better. I really do believe that. I, I, I think no question. I, you know, the, the amount of land that we use now to uh, to feed the population is is shrinking dramatically. That, that means forests get to grow again. And that's happened because of fertilizer and uh, and yeah. uh, mechanism. So yield per yield per acre is up dramatically since uh, um, you know since we've had these advancements and and that's that's good for the environment that's not bad for the environment and, and so i think you line up fact after fact after fact and unfortunately i think we have a lot of emotion based reporting that that is not grounded in fact at all uh, that that leads to these questions that the mayor is having to deal with and 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 unfortunately that's the perception that much of humanity gets and that's just wrong and so it's very oh go ahead Simon. i was going to say so you know appreciate what you're doing and and others are doing to get back to uh, uh, facts and reality and 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 uh, what that looks like well it's really difficult to you know talk facts with somebody when they're looking to feel it's very difficult and the environment is uh, is is really dangerous and i've been saying this for five years now five years we've been saying this on the crude life is that when we were talking about the environment is a very inviting to people because they can just walk outside and be connected with it and the oil and gas industry needs to connect in the same way the environment has been connecting because 96% of what we use on a daily basis from our toothpaste to our toothbrush to the car that drove us to the store to get it, you need petroleum products. So it is very much like the environment and they can coexist so well. In fact, I, I truly believe that the industry will make the environment better. And one example I have not heard because I don't know how to tackle this. Did you know 90% of the oil found in the ocean is because of seepage? Yeah, absolutely. So what would happen if we didn't extract that out of there? It would just seep in the ocean? Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think that, that's obviously been going on for millennia. That's and what I'm talking about. And will continue to go on for millennia. But, yeah, you can drive to California and you can 
Uh, I mean, you could see oil seeping out of the ground and literally running down a creek bed. I mean, it happens. The 150 years ago, a little more than that, when we started using oil, that's where it came from, was oil seeping out of the, mm-hmm. seeping out of the ground. And uh, that, jet, that was jet the first Jet oil, they called it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, when people think about the oceans, I don't think they realize that, that if we didn't go down there and extract that out of there, that's, it would just seep in and it would do more damage than what people are saying is being done now. So those are just some things that, you know, it's very difficult when you're living in the planet of platitudes to come down to the realm of reality. It's really hard because the planet of platitudes is so much more fun. You don't have any worries, man. It's just great. So let's talk about the electric frack. That started out as the planet of platitudes, I'm sure, at some point in some board meeting or some cocktail napkin at a restaurant or something yeah. like that. Let's let's hear the story. How did it start? Where are we at? And when are we going to see the first frack? Have, it, have we? Yeah. So, uh, if I, I mean, electric electric frack fleets have been on our radar screen for years and years and years. Obviously, there's been a couple of incumbents that have been in the field for uh, some amount of time now running uh, those types of assets. For us, you know, I think there are, there are lots of things we want to be a first mover in. And then there are some things that I think we uh, we want to be a, a, a faster follower in, let's say, where we see there's there's probably a dramatic <laughs> enough change that there's opportunity to learn from those who go first Yep. Uh, to find those things that we could do a little bit better and ultimately put a better uh, a better product in the field. So electric frack was one of those was one of those scenarios. We had a long laundry list of goals we wanted to achieve, let's say. So you know, if you think about the the hardworking guys and, and gals out in the field at the tip of the spear there that uh, that are running our frack fleets today, the goal can, has to be to not make life uh, more difficult for them and 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 certainly needs to be, when we put this product in the field, needs to deliver a better end result for our customers. And if we don't feel we can achieve that, if we think we're going to take a step backwards in either of those areas, then it's not time to put that asset out there. But I think we're comfortable now. We can get to a place where the asset we put in the field is as, as good for the team that we have out there to run and probably better from a maintenance standpoint, an operations standpoint, rig up and rig down standpoint, uh, but also is going to deliver a, a great end result for the, for the customer. And so today we have uh, our generation one pump out in the field. It's, it's working here in the Permian right now alongside one of our traditional frack fleets uh, pumping away and has been doing that for a uh, better part of a week now. Maybe, uh, yeah, a better part of a week now, I guess. Our generation two version of that is in the yard in, in Houston going through its durability testing. Uh, and it'll carry on uh, doing that into early Q3, at which point in time it'll head out to the field. And so for us, that probably leads to commercial deployment of a, of a full fleet by uh, late Q2 next year, maybe early Q3, give or take a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't wait to track this process to see how it's going. Is this a, a natural gas electric frack? It will be. So, you know, the, the incumbent players that are out there today have traditionally chosen a gas turbine to run a frack fleet. We struggled with that a lot for a couple of reasons. A, we didn't feel it delivered the emissions footprint that uh, uh, that we were looking for on location. B, uh, from a mobilization standpoint, we had some real concerns. The the typical uh, turbine that's used sits on a on a pretty long trailer. I think 75 or 80 feet long, weighs about 180,000 pounds. It's wow. a big unit to move around, and uh, and so for us, we were looking for something as nimble and mobile as. Uh, 
as our frac pumps are today, but, uh, and also delivered a great emissions footprint. And so we've settled on natural gas resip engines uh, paired with a gen set to actually power our frac fleet. So that'll be a 20 cylinder natural gas engine. Uh, and there are a number of players in the space that make them Caterpillar, MTU, uh, a couple of the big names in that world. And um, what that allows us is, a, I, I think, a solution that is a very capital efficient in terms of the size of the asset we deploy to location. B delivers a great emissions footprint. C for our mechanics doesn't look hugely different than the engine they work on today. Uh, and um, you know, I think for for us, just ended up being a, a a much much better path to an electric frac fleet. So it'll look a lot different than what's out there today. Did, did you? Um you don't have to get too specific because I don't want to splice this hair anymore. But uh, was there any pushback on the natural gas side of things, you know, because how oil and gas are just being lumped into each other? I don't think the average person understands that natural gas ain't going anywhere. It's a foundation fuel, not a bridge fuel. Right. And so I kudos by choosing this path because from a 5,000-foot view, it's, it's the only way to go. But down in the weeds... Is there anybody on the day-to-day that's saying, "Oh, don't do that"? Natural gas is going away with oil. Uh, not certainly not in the in the world where we're talking about okay, electric track. Of course, <laughs> you know, out there on the periphery, that's probably true. But it, it, as, you, as you think about natural gas as a fuel out in the field. Um, in many places that we work, it's readily available right there. Right. Uh, maybe with a little bit of processing, but you can effectively take gas produced from a wellhead, knock the liquids out of it, and feed it as a fuel into this engine. And so when you think about the economics of a of a completion, that can be a needle mover. Those those big frac pumps burn a lot of diesel fuel. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fuel regardless of the source of it. But, you know, of course, with price of oil climbing, so too is the price of, of gas and diesel. And, and so you have this uh, meaningful opportunity for cost savings by virtue of consuming natural gas right from the field versus having to truck diesel out there to run a frac pump. Uh, and so there's a, there's a meaningful economic advantage there that, that comes along with consuming natural gas uh, from, the, from the field. And, and that's important to customers today. Of course, you know, things look pretty rosy right now. We Oil closed above $70, I think, yesterday. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's not, a, it's not the challenging times of $20 or $30 oil. But regardless, we have, to, we have to continue to put ourselves in a position where, as an industry, we can be successful through the ups and downs. And, and that means continuing to find ways to do business more economically consuming natural gas in the field is is one of those paths but the other benefit of course is uh is an esg benefit uh, that's being talked about a huge amount today and while i don't think oil and gas are going anywhere uh you know i do believe it's incumbent upon us as an industry to continue to get better in that regard mm-hmm. to find ways to produce a molecule of, of of hydrocarbon with less and less impact to the people are, that are in that area or around there and natural gas is a path to that as well it, it uh it's it's just it's just a cleaner fuel than diesel is. We're going to talk about the ESG report in just a second, and we'll revisit that comment. But I did want to ask you about wet gas, dry gas. Uh, very simplistic here. Bakken has wet gas. A lot of the Permian, I guess, is dry gas. Uh, does that play into anything? Is there certain places you can't go into or places that are better? Just talk about the different gases and how that plays into your electric frack. Yeah, it, uh, good question. And it, and it definitely does impact how you think about putting an electric frack fleet on location. Um, 
if you went to some place like the Haynesville, dry gas coming right out of the well there, that stuff can basically go into an engine untreated. Uh, you, <laughs> you can basically burn it right out of the ground. It's like the Bakken with to, the sweet crude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you put it right into a diesel and it you, goes. <laughs> uh, but you get to some place where, yeah. to your point, the gas is, is, is full of liquids. You know that, uh, it, it, at least in our world, requires a little bit of uh, of treatment to manage, and so we uh, we have to think about that a little differently. But it's but it's quite straightforward. Basically, it means uh, a gas treatment skid on location that uh, that knocks the liquids out. It, it, those are those are there's a great market for those anyway, so those are readily saleable, and then we can consume the uh, gas product that comes from that. Okay, uh, ESG. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, let's. I, I wrote down because I didn't want to forget, and this is something I've been talking about for a while. You guys just came out with your first report, so I'm going to be curious to see what your reaction is on this. That's why I love having guys like you on because we, you know, we don't prep ahead of time. We just go from the hip. Uh, ESG. I, I believe this is something the industry can get a handle on. I believe that if they get a hold of the narrative now like when Kevin Kramer said the day after Trump didn't when when Biden was uh, elected or whatever Kevin Kramer same out came out and said okay now let's join the Paris Accord and tell them the way the world works instead of reacting you know so that was an attempt to grab a hold of the narrative so I believe that's where we're at with the ESG because here's why I think the G is going to be very hard for the oil and gas uh, industry because of PTSD. I believe there's a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder against the oil and gas industry the same way a restaurant owner has got PTSD against bad service. You do one thing wrong, it takes out a hundred rights, okay? You have a hundred great meals and you do one bad one and all of a sudden they're going and telling everybody about the bad meal but it takes a hundred meals to go tell three people, right? A lot of that was with oil and gas, too. I mean, people are still citing Exxon and BP. Those were decades ago, man. Those were decades ago. Imagine all the good that's come here since then. So I I do think it eventually will be fine, that whole transparency and the ESG thing. I know Whiting was trying to get an early adapter on that. Ashley McNamee, she's now with uh, Wilson and Alvarez, or Marshall and Alvarez. Uh, They're tackling that. But I do think this will come to fruition. I think the uh, S is easy. That's the social part. Uh, that's that's just sharing some time, you know. That's like at the Bakken barbecue. We're turning it into a social thing where we're saying, okay, well, barbecues are inherently discriminatory against vegetarians. We're going to offer potatoes. It's a great thing to put your meat on. It's a great thing to put your barbecue on. doesn't mean you have to, but now the vegetarians don't feel like they're slighted against. But we had uh, Mayor Patrick Payton on he took it a step further and said he believes that that's true with women, that a lot of women are having a hard time making their way coming up through a very male-dominated industry through the year. He called it chauvinism, okay? So that what we're doing also at the Bakken Barbecue. We're going to have Miss Teen, North Dakota, who just handed off her crown, 2020. She's going to get up on stage and talk about how important mental health is. She's from Watford City. Mm-hmm. So there's an S example, again, using the platform that oil and gas has created, these trade shows, these barbecues, to allow these social groups to come up and at least speak their mind, okay? The E is done. What you're doing, environmental. What we've done at reclamation sites, environmental. That's the irony in this whole thing is that, like, it almost is like the the opposition is coming at the industry saying, you guys are not environmentally friendly. 
No, actually, we're extremely environmentally friendly, like the way hunters are when it comes to conservation. It's kind of backwards. Are you following me on this at all a little bit? Okay, I, I want to know what you think about my whole ESG, uh, how industry is going to tackle it now that you guys have done your first report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a great question, and 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 I, Very and I think you made one. some great points. Uh, you know, from a social standpoint, I, I think our industry is tremendous. I, the yeah. amount of good we do in the communities we work in, I, I I think we could hold ourselves up against anybody. I I do not know a person in this industry who is not committed to the well-being of their community and trying to do things to 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 help change that community for the better. And, Agreed. And the, the the list of causes, if you you know if you were to walk around this show and ask uh, every one of these companies, I suspect the list of causes would be long that they support. Without a and, doubt. And so I I agree 100%. I think our industry is always been all in on that we do a great job of it we maybe don't talk about it too much but uh, that's where I'd like to interject just one second and then I'll, I'll let you go to the next letter we had this problem in journalism I've interviewed some of the top minds in the world okay and I don't get a picture with them okay like I, I don't do that well now a lot of people that I interview that are under the age of 40 they just want the selfie they don't want the interview right and so I'm like okay this is new to me so I Again, I, this is my post-traumatic stress disorder in the same way the oil and gas industry has a hard time bragging. Some of us just like to hand the ball off to the ref and act like we've scored a touchdown before. Not everybody likes to brag and, you know, do a dance. But it almost seems like we got to do a little bit of that dance now. You know what I mean by that? Right. So anyway, that's kind of my analogy, just to let the oil and gas industry know. In the media, we've, we've had to deal with this too, that unfortunately part of our business now is my picture with Ron Gusick at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners. This is branding and image control. So uh, that's all That's all my message is there. So if you want to take the next one, which is G. Yeah, so from a governance standpoint, yeah. you know, I, I, I also think the industry, I, I do think the industry had some work to do there. You know, I don't think we had uh, great alignment necessarily between how we... Uh, uh, how a leadership team, for example, was incentivized versus what the investment community would have had. But we've seen a real shift in that over the last couple of years. I think we've we've had a recognition uh, amongst companies that uh, that we need to think about these things differently. Oil and gas has not been a tremendously investable space of late. In fact, you hear a lot of people talking about encouraging yanking money out of oil and gas. And, and we've got to do different uh, in that regard. And I think there's been, you know, there used to be a growth for growth's sake mentality. Uh, maybe without consideration for the returns that came as a result of that, but but um, but you've seen that change in the last couple of years. We've seen businesses now living inside of cash flow, uh, making sure that they generate a return to the shareholders. That. Uh, the leadership team, their their compensation is aligned with the shareholders, and so I think from a governance standpoint, uh, we've we've really started to move the needle there. Uh, it's something we've been quite proud of at Liberty since the day we started, and so it's a it's an important aspect of the report we touch on. But but. Um, and, and it's an important piece of our world for sure. But in the report, of course, we saved the biggest letter for last, which is, which is E, mm -hmm. and uh, and that takes up. You know, if you if you look at our report, it's 84 pages long. I think uh, the E section takes up takes up probably three quarters of that. Is and, is that? Can I ask you? Is it things you have done, or things you're gonna do, or both? It's 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 a little bit of that, but maybe more importantly than that, it's the things that the industry has done okay it's the, it's the things that oil and gas have done to change the world and so what our concern with ESG reports had been at least in the oil and gas space up to this point in time is that they were exactly that they were they were this um, 
they were this idea of, of just trying to, to check some boxes and say, these are all the things we've done to get a little bit better. But that's only, that's only a small part of the conversation when we think about E. I, you know, I think the conversation had to be much, much bigger than that. At least that's how we felt at Liberty. And so when you look at our report, what you're going to find is that the first half of that report is a broad conversation on energy and, and the role it plays in the world. Because I don't think you can have a conversation about the other part of this without understanding that broader context first. Energy is what lifted us out of poverty. It's what's changed our lives to allow us to have vacation time, um, to uh, to live in the houses that we do, to uh, to drive the cars that we do. I, I mean, that is all brought about as a result of of access to cost effective, cost effective, reliable energy. Uh, and there's a lot of the world that doesn't enjoy that privilege yet today. And so this idea that we can talk about the impacts of, of producing oil and gas without talking about the benefits of them just didn't make any sense to us. And so we wrote a much broader report than that that I hope provides a, a framework for how other people will think about an ESG report going forward, which is first we talk about the big picture, the broader context in which energy uh, plays in, in the world, and then with a recognition after going through all of that that we can't live without oil and gas, not for many, many decades to come, uh, that it's incumbent upon us as an industry to produce those molecules as cleanly as possible, and here are the things we are doing to achieve that, to continue to move forward as, as an industry and, and as liberty to, uh, to get better and better at that. That's the biggest part of the report. I, 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 speed limits are a great example. If, you know, if, if we only looked at the negatives, the consequences of driving, of, of having speed limits of 65 or 75 miles an hour, you would decide very, very quickly that we should, we should never allow cars to go more than five miles an hour. You could get rid of every accident that ever happened if we only let cars go five miles an hour. But there would be a massive economic trade-off to that. Uh, and a massive trade-off in, in our freedom and ability to go see the world. Uh, you, you just you can't do anything if you can only go places at five miles an hour. And so, you know, we have these people who choose to set the speed limits with a consideration for the pros and the cons. And we recognize there will be a cost, accidents, uh, insurance costs and things like that by virtue of having speed limits that high. But that's, an, you know, that's a situation where we evaluated one side and the other side of the coin and arrived at the right decision. And I don't think that narrative has happened in oil and gas today. We have, a, we, we have people out there who are only viewing one side of the coin. They are only looking at the consequences of uh, negative consequences of oil and gas production without considering the huge amount of benefit and the huge amount of work we yet have to do in this world. And so we wrote our ESG report with that goal in mind to provide that whole context, both sides of the coin, so to speak, uh, that we hope leads to a very, very clear con conclusion around the importance of uh, our industry. Without getting in trouble, um, why, why did you guys do it? Why, why did you write it? Was it, um, was it investors? Was it banks? Was it just, hey, this is the thing to do? I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but um, you know, some people are still saying, no, we're not, we're not moving ahead with this. And I saw Crestwood, they're bragging about three, four years of ESG now. And so it's, everybody's got their own story, so to speak. And um, what was yours, I guess? You know, what was finally made you guys do it? I, I, I think it was, it, it, was a, it was a level of frustration with, a, I, I, I think, an unwillingness or, or certainly, uh, maybe not an unwillingness, but the fact that it just sin, simply hadn't happened. Uh, nobody taking the lead on on this conversation that we felt needed to take place. We have 
you know, we have a billion people in the world who lack access to electricity today, another billion people who are uh, who only have intermittent access to electricity. We have 10% of the world still living in extreme poverty today. That's just not okay. And and that we are okay as a as as a society sitting here in our country, enjoying the life that we live, and and. and Putting in place policy decisions, uh, or or uh, demonstrating for a path forward that doesn't allow those people access to the same lifestyle that we lead today, just doesn't sit okay inside of the liberty world. We are called liberty for a reason. We're called liberty because because that is, along with energy, the other thing that allowed us the world we have today. We have the freedom to own property, the freedom to drive a car, the freedom of speech. The, you know, the, we have all of these rights and freedoms uh, and, uh, and a wonderful lifestyle as a result of that. The, the liberty to enjoy uh, uh, the life that we live. But there are a lot of people in the world who don't. And I don't think that sits right with us, at, with anybody at Liberty. That, that we are over here ignoring those challenges in the world that are dramatically impacting people's lives today. We're, we're talking about climate change, which is real. I'm not, I'm not here saying climate change isn't happening, but climate change is a manageable problem. And I think we know and understand that and the data easily supports that. Uh, but we're myopically focused on that at the expense of all of these people who have not yet been lifted out of poverty and, and provided access to a different way of life. And that can't be okay to us. We, 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 we can't sit here and accept that that's going to be the outcome for the rest of the world. It's, it's just not right. So my friends call me the hippie capitalist because I was, I was uh, adopted a highway by myself in 2004, not a company, but me. Uh, I've actually been a plant-based vegan for 14 years, and I MC the Bakken barbecue every year. So I hid that I was a you know this plant-based vegan guy because I don't like vegans; they annoy me. I just oh so anyway, I, a lot of this was was due to method journalism, and it was had to do with just a lot my path of life, you know, and just doing things that made sense to me. I recycled because it made sense to me. And so when I actually started this crude life, we were an investigative against oil and gas because of the framework I had leading up to this. I'm not from oil and gas, I'm from ag. And I truly believe what's happening right now is that the oil and gas worker is being replaced by the light switch in the same way that the grocery store replaced the farmer, okay? Right. I believe there's very similar things here. So, And I, I went through that. And I also went through the internet replacing all the old media because that's what I came out of was the old media, okay? A real paradigm shift too. So anyway, getting back to uh, my original point, which I, I've pretty much forgotten at this point, but... I'll throw in there while you're thinking about that. Uh, um you know, probably the other reason to do this, to your point about the whole journalism question, is is just to make sure that the facts were out there. So if you, you know, if you look through the ESG report, we we worked very, very hard to make it a fact-based document. It, you know, you hear a conversation, for example, that extreme weather is getting worse. Well, that's not true, and the data doesn't support that in any way, shape, or form. If you look at, uh, if you look at tornado frequency, if you look at um, uh, hurricane energy arriving on uh, on land in the U.S. or or even globally, there are not upward trends to these things. In fact, uh, they, they are flat and in in some cases even down. And, and so, it, it was part of our goal was to make sure that facts were out there, reference facts. You can you can look these things up. We put a we put a reference to every piece of data in there that we uh, that we quoted. But, but uh, to provide to people that information, those facts, to be able to have an honest conversation with somebody, because unfortunately, if you're relying on a lot of the media today, 
the very first sentence you'll read is extreme weather uh, caused by oil and gas, and, and uh, there's just not data to support that. And, and so we have to we have to put the facts out there. And there've been a lot of there've been a lot of great work in this area. You know, Michael Schellenberger, Apocalypse Never, uh, Bjorn Lomberg, False Alarm. Uh, 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 Steve Coonan just came out with his book, Unsettled. And so there 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 have been some folks who are standing up and recognizing that uh, we have to try to get the facts back out there because that's that's not happening today. And and this report was was intended to do exactly that. Investigative reporting, that's what I was getting back to. All right, so I remember what I was talking about. So when I first started The Crude Life, because of the framework I had my whole life that the oil and gas industry was killing the planet, right, and babies and everything else, we okay, I, I worked at KFGO, which was the number one radio station for three years, and they were we, we had been number one for 40 years in the region. I had just come off of two national awards in three years. I cannot stand working for a place that, you know, like, I'm an entrepreneur. I had to be on my own. I couldn't stand in an office all day and this and that. So I went out to the oil field to cover a story and fell in love with the entrepreneurship. So I'm like, oh, I got to get out there. The siren song of the Bakken was calling, right? <laughs> so we bought a food truck, sight unseen, off from a church group out of Staples, Minnesota. And we did, a, we did our crude life show from the food truck, right? And we were going to do hard news, investigative, all this stuff like that. Well, because I'm a method journalist... That's how I became plant-based, by the way, was after three weeks of doing the plant-based, I had so many things happen, I never looked back. So when I spent two, three weeks out in the Bakken, I realized that I was wrong, and I got really angry at myself, and then I got angry at the environmentalists and the school system and the whole education system that put a framework into my head. Again, I came from farming, so I know firsthand what a balance sheet looks like of pros and cons, all right? Absolutely. Farming has got a lot of access. It was the number one dangerous industry for a long time. And there were deaths that were never even counted. Tractor rollovers was an auto accident. Oh, no. My, like, I lost neighbors growing up. There were a spring would go on an auger, and all of a sudden they'd bleed out in 30 seconds before anybody even knew it, and they'd be in the barn for two days. I mean, things like that would happen all the time. But the local paper would never report that. Hmm. Never. So I come from that side of things, right? So I get shit happens. Let's just call it that, right? So I got mad. And then I went, oh, I'm going to start promoting the industry with good, positive news because there's more than enough to go around. I don't have to get into that politics. Everybody else is doing that, including Sports Center and The View. You can't even click on a show nowadays without somebody getting polarizing political. So we said we're going to be non-political. Okay, look at what oil and gas is doing for the Native American communities. It's empowering people. It's not just paying a job like the casino. No, it's creating jobs on Main Street. Is you got MHA Nation doing the secretary to the chemist to the to the rig to the to the roustabouts. They all are going to be Native American if not already. Mm-hmm. The administrators, everybody. That's incredible empowerment. Okay, we're trying to create generational wealth, not just a one-time shot, right? So I started seeing those stories. I started seeing the innovation, which blew my mind. And I'm going, oh my God, the oil and gas is the leader in the environmental movement. So we started doing that, right? Well, then a little bit later on, I read a book by Alton Chase called uh, Something with Yellowstone. Alton Chase, and he did an amazing job just showing how we're destroying Yellowstone. Raw sewage being pumped out. And I went, okay, 
we almost extinct the wolves. We almost extinct the elf, elk. We almost took out the native for, flora and fauna because we let the environmentalists run the show. We gave them free reign, and they don't know what they're doing. Industry needs to solve another problem. We, and we did. We stepped in in a, in a different way. We did it through contractors and everything else. Someone else got the credit, but industry did the work at the end of the day, right? So I got angry at that, too. And then I started going more and more, and I started looking at this, and I'm going, okay, now we got to get to the next level of really figuring out a way to connect here. And so we're starting to go back more with some of our journalism, but more from the environmental side to say, okay, look at all the ways they've been screwing up the planet here, and look at how oil and gas is starting to be the solution. In the same way, industry made fire possible. Okay, before... Before industry came along, people had to wait for lightning strike and then go have somebody watch a flame. That was probably, what, 100 years? Until somebody figured out how to make a flame eternal through industry? Well, then the wheel came next. Industry makes things better and better. And I believe industry is going to save the environment one more time. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. But I did want to point out that this can become a very passionate projects for a lot of different people and with the crude life we've gone through different evolutions and different journeys but at the end of the day i do think what we need to do is we need diversity we need inclusion and we need to just our motto now going forward is everyday energy for everyday people and that's the only way we can figure out that's going to connect with people so i don't even know if there's a question in there i just uh, our journey has been kind of this up and down passion and trying to shake off this old framework because our whole life has been basically that oil and gas is evil. And then when you work in the industry, you find out really quickly it's not. There goes a Frackleberry Hound there, our mascot. But what's your reaction on how we're handling outside of the industry? Because you guys are actually breaking through now. I, I, I think I think you made a lot of good points there. I, <laughs> you know, I think... Um, well, I, I said a lot, so I hope I made one. <laughs> you know, we... As we think about energy, that's it's an important part of our world, and it and it and it is it's what enables who we are today and the and the life that we live. And we have a lot of people who who deserve that uh, same opportunity. And so, you know, to your point of energy for the people, that's that's what we need to be about. And and I think if you study the story in detail, it becomes very clear that oil and gas are very good for the environment. If if you are if you don't have access to reliable electricity, LPG for your stove or something like that, you are outside cutting down trees, collecting grass and and burning sticks and dung uh, to heat your home and to cook food for your family. That's incredibly polluting to the atmosphere. If you're worried about emissions, true pollution in the atmosphere, your first goal ought to be trying to move those people who are today cooking over a fire, uh, an open fire, to cooking over LPG. It's easily easily packageable, easily transportable, and very, very clean. And, and that there's a huge step forward for the environment, not to mention those people. You know, I, th I think the number is about 7 million people a year die from uh, particulate matter pollution. Uh, three and a half million of those from indoor air pollution, cooking over uh, fires like that, and the rest from outdoor pollution where, you know, they are still burning down forests to clear cropland because if you haven't reached a place where you've achieved the same kind of crop yields we have to, to feed a growing population, you, they, need to, they need to access more and more and more land. And so uh, energy is not, access to 
uh, modern energy is not a negative for the environment. It's absolutely a positive. It means that rainforests get to continue to grow. It means that people have access to clean water. It means they're not burning sticks and dung and and uh, uh, polluting the atmosphere with that smoke. And 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 so I, I think the story is very compelling for the good of energy and the environment and certainly the good for humanity so well i folks i do apologize if it sounded like i was tiptoeing in that last question trying to gain my thoughts because i had a dog running one way i had a, somebody at the booth trying to signal me and trying to keep my interview going and we're here at the permian basin association of pipeliners booth and boy they got it busy today as i'm starting to see the ice being put into that plastic container that's going to hold beverages of some kind imagine a barley pop or two a little bit later on will be in there but I, I did I did want to bring in the third thing where I got mad because there was three things there was the the when I felt like I got lied to against my education system with the way that the fossil fuel industry came the second one was when I read Elton Chase's book Alton Chase's book uh, with Yellowstone the third is where we're at now and that is that I believe your elected officials that are winning this narrative battle are more concerned about the future than they are about the problems today. And what Mr. Gusick is talking about are real problems today. We have people that are dying every day of starvation, of heat. These are real problems that we have not solved the homeless problem here today, and now they want us to give up our liberty and our rights for a problem that they don't have any scientific proof for in 20 years. If you think the science is sound, let's see it in five years. Because I can tell you what, if I drop this crude life stainless steel tumbler off of this building and I send that question thesis out to 100 scientists across the world and ask how quickly it's going to hit the ground, they're going to all give me an answer within a microsecond. Some of them might ask, oh, what's the wind velocity? What's this and that? What's the air barometer? And we'll have all that information, but they will be able to give me a precise answer all within just a couple little decimals of each other. When it comes to the climate or the weather, there isn't any, any that can predict it in a year, five years, ten years. Now you're going to tell me what it's going to be like in 20 or 100 years? It ain't, I ain't buying it, folks. I ain't buying it. So what I got upset about is it reminded me of what happened with, remember malaria and DDT? So, which is really interesting about this whole DDT thing was they did a lot of science behind DDT to where they actually fed it to prisoners. And there was, like, not as bad as they made it out to be. There were some uh, birds that were having problems with their shells. Well, it turned out that scientist actually fudged the data, and that never got as reported. Well, the bigger picture was is that we kind of let DDT go by the wayside. And I don't know, uh, care about that. What I do care about is 28 million people died the next year of malaria outside of the U.S. Right. Okay. That pissed me off a lot because... We have real problems here today, but it's almost like as soon as our life gets good, we kind of kick the can down and start worrying about future problems and turn our back on the problems of today. And, folks, that is a real deal. And, and go ahead and take a look at the history behind that. And DDT is something that's very controversial, and that's why I did bring it up. No, I, it, it's, it, I think you make a good point. We, you know, we basically eradicated malaria from the U.S. Yeah. It was a terrible problem in Russia, but it's eradicated there. But I, and I may get the number wrong, but I still think today a million people a year die from malaria. It, uh, over in Africa. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, in, in, and Probably it's because, South America, too. But. You know, we've, 
we don't have the problem here anymore, so we're not we're not we're not worried about it so much, and and as a result, are focused on other things, but have taken away uh, a solution that could eradicate that problem elsewhere. And we are we are putting ourselves in a position where we're going to do the same thing in the energy industry, where you, you know we have uh, we are making decisions here that are going to take away the opportunity elsewhere in the world because. It's not in my backyard, so yeah. it, it, I don't have to worry about it, and and I, and I do think that's unfortunate. So I, you know, I, I I applaud you for continuing to move this narrative forward to put it out there in the public because we have to find a way to make sure that we are we are making decisions in the much broader context of the well-being of humanity, not just what's good for uh, uh, for my backyard. Well, I do appreciate you coming on the program here. I appreciate the access, talking about the things that you've got going on. Congratulations on the electric frack generation one generation. Two. Good luck with those. Congratulations on the ESG report. As more of an awareness report than anything. It's this is why I like this one. I Meridian Energy Group, they had to put out ESG reports primarily for investors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Crestwood, they're doing it primarily for public relations, shareholder reaction, that sort of thing. You guys are doing it more for an industry educational standpoint. So I'm really enjoying this actually, that there's these different angles that people are taking and it's just good news in the end because it's getting a hold of the narrative they want to get a hold of instead of a 16-year-old, now 18-year-old girl who's really been running roughshod across the industry the last few years. And I hate to say that, but it's true. I, I don't understand it, but it's true. Um, appreciate you coming on and understanding about the passion I have for the industry and also my last one, which is, folks, let's really focus on today and not tomorrow. I know we have to look at tomorrow, but we do have real problems today. He mentioned the NIMBY. I'd love to have you back to talk about NIMBY sometime or somebody within your organization because Colorado is ground zero for NIMBY. It started in LA when they built a school, a fake school around these these wells. You remember that? They were building fake-looking schools around well sites. Well, that's what they're doing in Colorado now, basically, with just walls. And I think that's the blueprint, the Colorado blueprint, because Washington's starting to look at that. I see Pennsylvania's got some rumblings there. Two states are now looking at putting the Colorado bill on their ballot next year. So we need to continue this talk. We need to move the conversation ahead with solutions and ideas, because guess what, folks? We don't have the solutions. All we have is some ideas and some resources to try to make it work and electric frack is the way to do it the 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 esg is another way to do it uh so appreciate you coming on talking about that a little bit and the that's why i wanted to bring up the nimby thing because not in my backyard is something we dealt with at uh, kfgo for years with the wind turbines we had so many farmers calling in saying we don't want these on our property they kill bats and birds they help us with it, there's like an actual economic value to bats so anyway um nimby is a hot button issue for me <laughs> can't tell can you <laughs> so i'd love to talk on that any day but how can people support you are you looking for any business what just give yourself a plug out there man let's at least give you a 30 second commercial <laughs> no, I, I, I mean look for, for for us the the message that we're telling is important I, I i think what would be a win for us is that people pick up that message and and, and carry it on you know i i, I think we're proud of what we're doing for the industry and there are many others that are doing great work too but if if you're looking for the right message to give if you're looking for those facts to share with your neighbor you can find all that stuff in our esg report you can find uh, the videos that we're producing and there are lots of other great assets out there as well so 
certainly. I, I'm, I, our report is long. It's it's 84 pages. It's a bit of work to get through, but there's a lot of good information in there. So go to the website, get the report, find some talking points, and have that conversation with somebody in your in your life that isn't on the right side of this uh, argument today, and, and we're all going to be a lot better off for it. That's, that's all I can ask. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, more importantly, I appreciate the access, because that's, in today's day and age, I, I think getting access to these oil and gas companies is a step in the right direction of the transparency, even if it's not really saying much. Just the idea of, oh... Oh, they're out there. At least they're taking the questions, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, so that's a good thing. Do you accept gifts or not? Uh, we do. Okay. Uh, I would like to give you one of our Crude Life Travel tumblers here. This is one of those nice, it's a Pelican. It's not a Yeti, but it's the Pelican. Made by Becker Safety out of Colorado, Greeley, Colorado. Nice laser etch there. Very We've nice. We've got your choice so if you're going to use it's a 32 ouncer for these are the people in the car all right so if you're a traveling salesman they're perfect but uh what we've got is we've got the sick looking black one here but we've also got seafoam green which is that new kind of color for i call it more of the feminine one but i don't know maybe a guy would like it whatever i'm not going to judge we're not here to judge but uh i'd like you to take one of these as a gift i and, and if you don't use it give it to somebody who uses it you know they're they very good at keeping things warm or cool. So absolutely, no, I appreciate uh, that. Thank your you very your much. choice of color, sir. And uh, what's the website? One more time. Uh, www.libertyfrac.com. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Jason. Thank you so much. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. It's a with the sound. The frozen cobblestone reflects the night. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Orange Property Management. The origins of Orange Property Management date back to the year 2000 when Fargo native Mike Marcille, an entrepreneur who was living in California, was starting to acquire residential properties in the Bay Area as a little side venture. Fast forward to today, Orange Property Management has grown to 36 full-time employees across 13 communities with a portfolio of over 1,300 residential and commercial units ranging from single-family homes to multi-family apartment Developments. For more information, visit their website, orangeproperties.com. That's orangeproperties.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. 
Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Live Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard. My name is Jason Spies. We are live here at the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners booth at the Shale Energy Resources trade show conference 2021 here at the midland horseshoe pavilion we are very excited very honored and very grateful to have texas railroad commissioner jim wright with us here who just got done speaking up on stage now are you out of austin texas no sir i i I have a place in austin because of the office that i that i'm in but i actually live on a ranch about 50 miles west of corpus christi texas oh beautiful country Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about what you spoke on today and what's going on in the railroad commissioner's office you know we've had a lot of things that's happening this year uh, that surrounds the railroad commission and most of those are stemming from the winter storm uri and a lot of the bills that were created from that and i'm and i'm proud to say that legislature has recognized that uh it, it wasn't so much that there winterization would be a huge economic impact to provide uh, fuel for for electrical generation but that they recognized that we need to do better about planning for those events and so there there were some rules that were passed SB3 being the main one that uh, now uh, mandates that we figure out how to map and identify those critical sources and make sure that they're available during those those large extreme winter events that, not that we may not see another one again, but I think uh, I think that as population increases, industry continues to increase here in Texas, especially what we've seen here lately with a lot of out-of-state people moving. Our demand on our grid is be, going to be coming even more, and, and I think that's going to prove across the board that we're going to have to identify and make sure that we have electricity that's reliable there for everyone. When I was driving down here listening to all the air conditioners going here in the 110 degree heat yesterday, (laughs) it reminded me of Chicago, which almost happened what happened in Texas last summer. Yes, sir. Because in some of the northern states, we start kicking up our air conditioners and that can overload the grid that we're not used to. And so this is becoming more and more of a problem, I think, than people probably realize. Well, I I think if you look at the example out in California... And Cal- great one. Yeah, California uh, really embraced uh, the renewable energy side, where where they criticized what what they felt like the oil and gas industry was comp- uh, doing to our environment, and 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 from that, since that those sources, the technology on wind and solar are not really up to par. I don't think yet. They they've experienced the same thing that I think that we're going to start seeing here in Texas. You know, that's the reason when I spoke this morning, I think it's so important that we start figuring out better ways to to make sure that we're cognizant of what we're doing to the environment, but to also provide that resource 
to to a uh, a generations uh, projects that that would be reliable as far as electrical generation. But I also think that you know if we're going to go and and try to create that, that we we capture our emissions, and and uh, and maybe we need to look at being uh, being qualified for some tax subsidies so that we can make sure that 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 electricity is there for what, what our future is going to be here in Texas. Well, one thing I would like every elected official to know is that, from my understanding, between 50 and 60 percent of every city's grid is hospitals and emergency services. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take a look at California, that is probably Americans' test model of this next mm-hmm. generation yes. we're going into. Mm-hmm. But we can go to Germany, who's been, you know, just been brought pedestalized of this great green you know a country going all green well they had to fire up the coal plants again and they're burning forests you actually have protesters now protesting against the green movement because of hundred year old forests so there's actually several templates that a lot of elected officials can look at we're no longer in speculation time here no you're exactly right so in that. How, how can we get them to understand that well I you know I th- again I think that uh, and when you look at Texas and, and what we get cr- criticized for every day as far as our industry is concerned and our agency is allowing the, the flaring that that people think is happening and, and I will say that Texas has uh, lots more oil and gas wells than any other state in this country and that our flaring is actually down to less than 0.5%. That's less than 1% as compared to other other states that are a lot greater than that. And then they're greater because there's really not a market for them to economically get to. Right. Which is some of the things that we have occurring here in Texas. So, you know, I think the answer to flaring and, and the answer to, to continuing to embrace uh, betterment of our environment is, is marketing. You know, how do we create more of a market? And what does that market look like for our people here in Texas? And, and again, I go back to we need to make sure that, that we have what I, what I refer to. I don't like that word flared gas. I like to call it stranded gas, that it could be utilized for electrical generation because we know that problem's coming. It's, it's going to happen. So I, I think that we, we do have a time. We do have a good window now where everybody, I don't care where you're from or what side you're on, when you're sitting at home in 110 degree heat and you don't have electricity or you're sitting at home when it's zero degrees and you don't have electricity, everybody wants to find a good solution for that. And I think that oil and gas is the one that rises to the top there. And, and I think that we just need to figure out a way of how that works better for the consumer and, and how do we, you know, how do we create that in a, in a real reliable way. Are you guys involved with this EV vehicle push at all? Does that reach it all the way to your office? No, sir. We don't. Okay. We don't have anything to do with so that. So you're not overseeing that. Okay. No. All right. So we won't get into that. Mm. I, I do want to ask a little bit about this whole. I will. I will say this about oh, that sure. though. Yeah. Is uh, we had a company that once wanted to move into Texas that creates uh, lithium for batteries. Okay. And uh, they were discouraged if they had to fall under the rules of of our counterpart, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. And, and I felt like it was important. Again, as I said in my speech earlier, I want to embrace, embrace all sources of, of energy uh, as long as it's good for the consumer. And, and I'm not convinced that the technology is there on other sources, what I call renewable, that, that is necessarily good, as you see in Germany, mm-hmm. for the consumer. Uh, but when, when you look at, when you look at the, um, 
the the impact that that uh, we're, we're having on on the environment, or that people think we're having on the environment. I just don't I don't I don't think that's there. But I think we can improve, and I, and, and I think we can move forward. Well, I I often get on my I often get on my uh, oil drum every now and then when it comes to wind. We don't get political on this show, but I do on wind energy because. Uh, you know, I, and again, I grew up in farming, and so I, I'm very aware of uh, the grocery store replacing the farmer. I came from publishing, so I know how the internet replaced the media, and, and, and bloggers and podcasters, the whole deal, you know. And right now, the oil and gas and coal worker are being replaced by the light switch. It's, it's like really that cut and dry almost. So when I take a look at what's going on in this EV vehicle revolution, I got some concerns on that because we're in a little bit of the planet of platitudes. When we take a look at what wind energy, I still believe the farmers from 150 years ago were more efficient with wind energy than we are today. From my understanding, a lot of places still don't have the reclamation or the recycling figured out for these these wind turbines, which is now a new problem that we're going to kick down the, the line. Go ahead. Well, you know, if you look at uh, wind energy and you look at what our demand is today in the grid, I mean, this 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 is written in a lot of different places. It is a fact. If we said, okay, we agree, uh, natural gas, coal, and nuclear are horrible. We're going to rely strictly on wind or solar. You would have to put a windmill on about every 0.74 acres in Texas just to even get close to our demand today. So whenever I ask people, what is what is really worse for the environment? Something like that magnitude, I think, would change wind direction. Not not to mention all those things that you just brought up. You know, th- those things don't last forever. Where do we put that? How do we, there is no recycling of it. People have attempted that, so they're being buried. You know, in yeah. a, that, that is a lot of a lot of stuff to deal with. I think that's more harmful to the environment than anything we have today. But again, I, I think there's a place for that. But it but it has to make economic sense, and it's got to be cognizant on the environment as is we we have to be. The other part about the wind energy that people don't talk about is they've almost extinct the golden eagle in the southwest. The Obama administration had to sign. Uh, an executive order so that wind energy companies would not get sued because so many eagles were getting knocked out of the sky so the the, the energy company was getting sued at the end of the day so I, I remember looking at that executive order saying I understand it but wow how did we get to this point and then this Germany when now they're finding out 80% of the insect and and bat and bird populations are being decimated and guess what farmers need those Bats pollinate. Yes. Bats are a main economic. In fact, there's an economic indicator in every. You go to every county USA, and someone in some county will tell you the economic impact of a bat. Not a bird. They don't care about birds, but bats they do. I agree with that. You know, so, I, I, I think again that that renewable energy it, it it has a place, but 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 I think it needs to be where it's it's good for the consumer. And right now, with the tax subsidies that it's receiving, if people really knew the truth behind that, it's not good for the consumer because its cost at the end of the day is eight times more than what our reliable energy sources are. 
It's just I don't know that people are educated enough to understand it. And that's one of the things that I think is important coming out of my office is that education process. Solar, I think, has a future, but I think that we're going the wrong direction there. I've been hearing about the terawatt storage for 10 years now. So now that I know more about the rare earth minerals and the mining, I, I just... I got to go back to my crazy idea from five, ten years ago when I said, honestly, the best way to make solar work is every city has to mandate that you build a house facing south with windows. I go, until you do that, solar cannot even be competitive mm -hmm. to, to use it for that passive sun. And to honestly see a municipality do that or a state or a government, I, I don't ever see that happening because that's like dictator control at that point. Well, until we can come up with a good economical way of storing that energy to use, you know, at a later time, uh, which is not definitely not here yet, but that's where a lot of that lithium comes into. Yeah. And, and the lithium that we use in battery production today here in the States, the states actually produce 1% of that. The rest of that comes from foreign countries. Foreign countries that, if they saw how that was produced, is horrible for our environment. Mm -hmm. The lithium company that I talked about earlier actually is looking at extracting it out of saltwater formations from underneath the ground, which is a very clean way of doing it. That's very interesting. That's the reason I wanted them to come to Texas. I'd like to see that if we're going to look at and that technology improve in the battery side, it ought to, be, it ought to start here in Texas. So I, the reason I brought up the EV vehicles as well is that in the last uh, budget or money, Biden money, they had, a, I don't know what to call it anymore because everybody has these words and I, and I totally even forgot what it's called is executive budget, presidential budget. There's more money for EV vehicles than there is roads and bridges. Yeah, and that's I mean, concerning uh, to me. You bet. Because if, if you guys aren't overseeing EV vehicles, well, you're going to get left hooked and then right hooked. Yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of people making lots of money off those tax taxes that are allowed for that now, and Elon Musk is a very good example of that. Yeah. You know, I, no taxes. Uh, you know, I think that most of that wealth is created off just tax dollars, tax I subsidies. I agree. Um, I did want to mention one thing about, well, I'm on my oil drum real quick before I step down and we talk about uh, uh, climate tax and also about some good old barbecue recipes is that I do believe, and I've said this for the last five years, and I'm going to continue because I've, I've got a gentleman who can actually make some changes out there if he agrees, <laughs> is that um, solar and wind have had 20 to 30 years of substantial subsidies from the federal and state governments, and they have not hit their milestones. Not ours, theirs. They haven't hit their milestones. So to give them more money is the definition of crazy. Now, if you actually just took half of it, just half, and gave it to the natural gas world, I couldn't even imagine what these smart, clever capitalists would do. These guys are sleeping well, on well you know, sites, mining Bitcoin and coming up yeah. with super plastics and all kinds of things. That, Go ahead. That's one of the things that we've seen at the agency, too, is, is on the Bitcoin mining and those kind of things. But, it, you know, the energy is just not there. The, the wiring's not there. The generation is not there. But when you look at uh, some of the things I talked about today in my speech, and you're right, the oil and gas industry can be very creative and we move fast. Uh, so when when you look at Texas and its abandoned pipeline system, you would be shocked of how many abandoned pipelines we actually have in the state. I'm talking about pipelines that are in six inch diameter or greater that are going to markets that that need that the uh, uh, electricity. Houston, Dallas, mm -hmm. Valley, San Antonio, Austin, the big metroplexes. There's there's abandoned pipelines that are going to those now, and that's 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 where our 
our, my market sustainability task force is working on to see if we couldn't resurrect those and possibly use that, that flared gas dedicated for electrical generation and then through that electrical generation process do a CO, CO2 sequestration plan with it and, and, and then lobby the feds that we are a closed loop system. We have nothing affecting our environment and it's good for the people and economics makes sense. But, but we need those tax subsidies and let's start comparing what that is versus wind and solar because you're right they've had 20 30 years and they've come really nowhere that's right and they're not hitting their milestones that's just it i mean how can you keep giving the same money to the same people and they're not hitting what they're hitting but i I did want to mention too we just had michael regan on uh he was up in the bach and and they mentioned they were doing uh, some carbon sequestration down in texas here that north dakota is now modeling after um, so it's nice to see that there's, there's some synergisticness being done with some solution. This to me is the oil and gas and, and industry. It's We've been solving problems for a long time and this whole, we've been decarbonizing since Abe Lincoln was in office. 150 years, you go back when we were burning wooden hay and then we went to Wales and then we went to, you know what I mean? And then we went to uh, uh, coal and kerosene. And we're down to, what, four hydrocarbons now? That's pretty damn clean, man. That's pretty clean, yes, and, sir. And to jump on a... People like to do this, jump on a movement and profit off it. And that's, I think, a lot of that is going on because we have been decarbonizing. It's kind of like when Y2K yeah, you know, came yeah, around. A lot, of those, a lot of those profits that you're seeing coming out of Wall Street today are all based on tax subsidies. Of course. And, and, uh, and that's, that's not a, I don't think that's a good place for us to be. You know, you talked about North Dakota a little bit earlier on their, on their CO2 secret yes. station projects. And North Dakota is a little bit different situation than Texas is because they're not, they don't have a market necessarily surrounding them. Their market that's surrounding them are, are, uh, are not allowing pipelines to be built to get their gas to a market. So they, they are, they're really forced to have to do something in that regard because they don't have anywhere for that gas to go. And in fact, I had a great conversation with a guy that heads up the oil and gas for North Dakota the other day. And Lee I told him, yes, Lee, and, and I told him, I said, you know, we need to, we need to work on this plan of these tax subsidies so that we can utilize this gas in, in electrical generation because Texas and other states are having the same issues. Population's not going backwards, it's going forwards. Mm-hmm. Industry's not going backwards, it's going forward. So our demand will continue. That's consistent. How are we going to address that in the future to where the economics work better for the consumer? Well, I would like to see tax dollars being spent today rather than giving it to a problem that doesn't exist in the future. I mean, we're, that's what I mean. We're spending more time on the future you know, we are on the present. One of the things that just struck me, uh, I, I just I couldn't hardly believe, is when the current administration re-entered the Paris Climate Agreement. And at the end of the day, I want folks to know what the Paris Climate Agreement really means is, America, we want you to give us your, your tax dollars that you're going to be taxing your people that are putting any type of emissions off in the atmosphere because we want your money. And, and for that, we'll promise to try to get other people under the Paris Climate Accord. People don't realize the United States leads the world in, in, in emission control. We are, we are the best country in the world for that. Even you said it early, Germany doesn't even compare it. I think the progress that we've made on a per industrial capita 
we uh, we we lead that. Mm-hmm. To re-enter that is nothing to, but saying that we're going to give more of our money away to foreign countries. That's that's what that is. I still think we should agree mm-hmm. to Kevin Kramer and right away entered it and said, okay, you guys are going to follow us. Yes. We're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they didn't say goodbye, yes. then we're out. Because yeah. take a hold of the narrative, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we we got to talk about the climate tax. Now, my journalism training tells me that your office cannot come out and make a statement if you're for or against or anything like that. But I believe you can educate a little bit on what a climate tax might do or talk about what a climate tax may bring to the industry. So I'm not quite sure on even if you can discuss it or not, but... I, it's, you know, it's floated it, out there. personally, I'm I'm not big on any type of tax. You know, I, I am big on on technology and improving that technology to where we we lessen that carbon going off into the atmosphere. But to impose a tax on this industry today, uh, given the natural gas side of it and what those prices are, that's that's not something that promotes what our economics here in Texas really work on. If if we demonize that industry and we start taxing it like we kind of have been, our economy is going to start to suffer. And when you see Texas economy start to suffer, it kind of stagnates across the nation because, uh, you know, Texas economy is really built on oil and gas. And and we pay those people well that are in that industry. They buy a lot of consumer products that are produced here in America. So so I think that taxing that is is not a necessarily good idea. Is it going to happen? Probably so. But, but I think, again, that's something that we, we need to stand up and fight. If, there, if we're going to start involving taxes and tax subsidies and all, the, all those government regulations that are going to come with that, then we need to be in the middle of that also fighting for ourselves to get our share of that tax subsidy as long as we're being responsible with it. So there are some people that have argued that a climate tax is just going to trickle down to the poor very quickly trickle down tax yeah, of course it will it does so you know the rich and the the, the rich will never feel it the you know the the middle class rich eventually will but it'll take mm-hmm. a while but the poor and middle class right away, right and, it, away. and that is a big part of educating people and that's why i've been so high on creating that educational task force that's why i asked texas legislator this year to in next legislative session next budget budgeting cycle to please give us the money to start an education process on what oil and gas really is and what it really does for Texas and what is what the heck our agency does for Texas. You know, we're the oldest agency in, in the state. We're also the biggest economic driving agency in the state. Uh, so I, I think it's really important that educating people on what all that means for them is, 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 is got to be done. <laughs> Well, we should probably wrap up here, but I should mention that uh, a week from Friday, so a week from tomorrow, I'm going to be up on stage emceeing the Bakken Barbecue for the ninth year uh, for Make-A-Wish this year again. We love uh, present. you know, we bring the kids up on stage and everybody feels about inch high, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? These kids have got more courage than we've got in our pinky, right? I agree. <laughs> and this year we're going to also honor first responders. Uh, Miss Teen North Dakota is going to be up on stage talking about mental health. She's from Watford City, so she's from the oil patch. And we're just it's a big hoopla. We have a great time. Uh, we expanded seven more cookers, so it's going to be close to 50 cookers this year. It's a big community event. Do you got any recipes, any barbecue tips, you know, slow and steady wins the race or what? <laughs> Actually, I, I do. You know, I... Right. I um, 
I, 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 I can tell you how simple my, my barbecuing is, and, and, it's, and it's a very uh, sensitive subject, I think, every Texan here in, here, in, here in the state. But, you know, I, I had a guy teach me a few years ago. He said he had brought a $35 Weber grill, a round one, and uh, he'd been winning a lot of barbecue cook-offs down in South Texas, and that's all he would bring to those cook-offs was that Weber grill. So he came to my ranch one one day and he said, "I'm going to show you how to cook barbecue." Because I was the old traditional, you got a you got a, uh, a firebox and you you have your barbecue pit and and you cook your meat that kind of thing. He said, "Nah." He said, "That expensive barbecue pit you got over there." He said, "Just junk it." Yeah. He said, "Go buy a thirty-five dollar Weber grill." He said, "And buy you some some coal, some mesquite coal." And he said, "Put that coal around the sides of of the grill and light one end." He said, that'll make the best barbecue you ever had. And he made me barbecue that day. So ever since then, when I barbecue, that's the way I barbecue. And, and I've got I've to admit, it's, it was better than what I used to make. And that's a family tradition for us every Sunday. So barbecuing is, is, is big for us here in Texas. <laughs> no kidding. That sound, you know who that sounds like? Are you familiar with Junior Urias? No, I'm not. So Junior Urias is the owner of Up and Smoke Barbecue. Okay, he was I've in Midland, Texas. Yes. He just moved early uh, last month. Uh-huh. Okay, And he started out basically as a haul-behind barbecue guy going out to, you know, oil, yeah. oil, pad, oil wells and everything like well pads. And, geez, day's getting early already. <laughs> and uh, he grew it into a brick and mortar. Okay, so great American story, that sort of thing. He ended up on, uh, is it the Travel Channel or the Lifetime? Anyway, the one that had uh, yeah. Byron Mixon. Yes. So he, he won it. He won it with a Weber grill. Yeah. It, his, his big expensive thing malfunctioned, and he had to run and get a Weber grill. And here he won the national TV's competition on a Weber grill. Yeah, I, I, I was amazed when this guy showed me that and how good that barbecue was. And that's what we cook on every day now. Again, it makes you feel about an inch tall, doesn't it? Yes. Like, oh, boy. Well, thank you so much for coming on here seriously we appreciate the accessibility the time we're very grateful thank you for right having now, me on the show right now accessibility and information are, are what people need and so thank you i agree thank you she works heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band. Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas, and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipes in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a sixth. 
it's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is is really important obviously to all of us absolutely you know the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused i mean uh the president biden's administration that this is obama biden 2.0 plus and the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing, what I think sometimes is just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at Lighting. Our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. So since you were on the topic, what, if you could list the top three threats to America's national security in order, what would they be? From a military standpoint, a strictly military standpoint, I think China is the number one military threat as we go forward. But I also acknowledge that Russia is a considerable great power competitor. And, and, and those two, in the NDS and in the current strategic environment from a military perspective, there are many, many threats. But from a military perspective, I put those two up there. I understand. One of the things I want to get at is because just, I think it was just yesterday, <clears throat> President Biden announced, when he announced America's back in Europe, uh, to to military men and women, uh, Air Force in uh, in UK, that the number, according to the military leaders, that the number one threat facing America's national security is climate change. Six weeks ago today, the European Union Parliament, speaking of NATO and allies, which are a prominent part of your testimony in this budget, um, EU Parliament passed a resolution 569 to 67 
urging the EU institutions and member states to, uh, to do everything they can to stop the completion of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Three weeks ago today, President Biden lifted the sanctions on completing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And, um, and I'm just kind of wondering, and that, that flies in the face both of, of America's back, it flies in the face of uh, building NATO alliances, rebuilding as, as, as the budget document states, I'm not sure which ones we lost, but I know that there are at least eight European Union allies, including Ukraine, who strongly oppose Nord Stream 2 for national security reasons. And certainly from climate change standpoint, if climate change is the number one threat facing America's national security, allowing Nord Stream 2 to be built is not good for the climate. So um, I have some great concerns and, and uh, I think we, we, ought to get them, we ought to get them straightened out. And I don't know for the life of me how, how completing Nord Stream 2 helps our alliance with the European Union other than maybe with the current Chancellor of Germany. And Senator, if I could just make please, a comment on, on, the, please do. on, on your, your piece about the threats. Um, climate change is a threat. Uh, climate change has significant impact on military operations, uh, and we have to take it into consideration. Climate change is going to impact natural resources, for example. It's going to impact increased instability in various parts of the world. It's going to impact migrations and, and so on. Uh, and in addition to that, we have infrastructure challenges here at home, witness some of our hurricanes and stuff. So climate change does impact. Um, but the president is looking at it at a much broader angle than I am. I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. And from a strictly military standpoint, I'm putting China and Russia up there. That is not, however, in conflict with the acknowledgement that climate change or infrastructure or education systems, national security has a broad angle to it. Uh, I'm looking at it from a strictly military standpoint. I just think it's peculiar that the president would go to a, another continent and tell our service members there that the number one um, threat is climate change, albeit a threat. Um, with that, my time's expired. Thank you. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the moody river band interested in becoming a sponsor email studio at the crude the crude life play hard work hard is sponsored in part by great american mining monetizes wasted stranded and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for bitcoin mining Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to 
GAM.AI. That's great American mining. GAM.AI. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Ron Ness, president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council. He's interviewed by Jenica Hauser, our Crude Life content correspondent. This is Ron Ness. Do you think that that's going to be affected at all by the uh, Biden administration's potential carbon tax? Do you think that that's going to affect the road, the journey to carbon neutrality? Yeah, by I, I don't, I don't believe a carbon tax will ever be imposed. You don't think by it the, will? No, I okay. don't. Um, I don't. I don't see any way. A carbon tax is going to increase the cost of energy on consumers in America, and I, I don't think consumers in in America want that. And as Secretary of State Pompeo said, it also puts us at a disadvantage to the rest of the world. So, why in the world would we? tax carbon and put ourselves, uh, not only charge ourselves more for what we use every day in energy, but also put ourselves at a disadvantage to our to our non-allies across the world. So I, I'm not believe, I'm not a believer that there'll be a carbon tax. Uh, I am a believer, though, that we have to do everything we can through research, innovation, technology, to try and make that Bakken barrel just, it's a competitive edge for me. It's not about uh, meeting this standard or that standard. How do we make the world want a Bakken barrel just a little bit more than a, a Libyan barrel or a Permian barrel or anybody else's barrel because that's all about investment. The more investment you have, the more opportunity you have, the more more your economy is going to be driven. So um, that's, what I, that's how I look at this. To listen to the full-length interview with Ron Ness, president of the North Dakota Petroleum Council, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life promotes a culture of inclusion and respect through interviews, content creation, live events, partnerships that educate, enrich, and empower people to create a positive social environment for all, regardless of age, race, sexual orientation, physical, or intellectual ability. Everyday energy for everyday people. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies asking you to remember, energy is more than an industry, it's the way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out the industrial forest. Forest.com. That's the industrialforest.com. We're going to do a good old fashioned Bakken barbecue. Halliburton has been cooking for two days. Uh, they've cooked 2,500 pounds of pork, 800 pounds of sausage, uh, 500 pounds of chicken. So. Uh, 
everyone's favorite are the fish tacos, but they've got burgers, steaks, salads, I mean, pretty much everything. And the first experience was, oh, where are all the rigs? Because you have so much country here. If it ain't about whiskey, sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. In a car, they're in a tent, they're in some other building that's not meant for human habitation. We've actually found people living in haystacks, in uh, grain bins. We found one guy that uh, basically gets shelter in a culvert each night. This was one of those stories where one reporter can't cover. There's too much happening at one time in too many places. If you hear it and it ain't stuck in your head all day. If you're not making money in the Bakken, you just truly are not thinking hard enough. Looking for a helping hand. Look at the end of your doggone arm. North Dakotans aren't looking over their shoulder for the government to help them. Some fur coat wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country enough. If you can't move to it, crew to it, up and slam some boots to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. As long as I'm working, my mom and dad are happy. Okay. <laughs> And a shower. Well, that was always the key, especially going to Thunder Bay. And he doesn't like life, I guess. <laughs> Insanity, right? North Dakota, the Bakken Plague. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.